Good morning. It is good to be back with you folks after so many years. We were last here in 2019, uh, pre-pandemic, pre-all that stuff, and pre-building uh, project that we had at the center. So we've, a lot has happened in these last few years. Uh, God's been really good. The, the, the biggest blessing when we came here, we had two grandchildren, and now we have our fifth on the way this November. So that's really exciting, and uh, seeing our boys grow and um, become the men that they have become and the, their wives, um, it's, it's really exciting. My, our youngest son is a, is a worship pastor at a mega church there in North Carolina, and our oldest son is my associate director at the center part-time, but his full-time job is in uh, security systems, and uh, he's, he's really going moving forward in that career, and we're so thankful for that. And we're thankful for your prayers. We're thankful for your, uh, your support. Um, it, it means the world to us uh, to have folks like you uh, supporting us and, and, and believing in what we do. Um, I believe what we're doing is important. I think that I uh, shared in the morning in the Sunday school hour that um, I've had nine men called to full-time gospel ministry since we've gotten there in 2016. And I really believe our, our purpose from God, you know, um, uh, you know, I've uh, studied the life of Winston Churchill, he, he knew his purpose as the prime minister was to lead the country through war, but he came to believe that his personal purpose as a man through that time was to inspire the English people to, um, you know, to keep a stiff upper lip and keep moving forward, and that was his personal purpose, and I, I've often thought about that, and I know what my purpose is in military evangelism, um, and it is to, you know, uh, to reach the lost and disciple and all that, but I think my personal purpose is to raise up the next generation of Christian leadership. That's my personal purpose. That's what God's called me to do through this ministry personally, and uh, I really believe God's blessing in that, and uh, we, we desperately need uh, a fresh influx of young men called into the ministry and doing the work of God. Amen? Um, I, know of, I know of at least half a dozen churches that support us that are without pastors, one of them hasn't had a single application in six months. Not a single application, and they're on all the job boards. So we really desperately need that next generation. And I said all that to lead into the sermon this morning, because each one of us has a personal mission, a personal purpose in the gospel. And if you open up to Luke chapter 24, we're going to look at this, uh, this last uh, meeting of Jesus before his ascension uh, that night in the upper room. And uh, he is, uh, he's talking to the, to the disciples and, and giving them a kind of a clue into what their mission is. And that's the title of the sermon this morning, Understanding Your Mission. And the fact is, missions isn't just about money. Uh, it's not just about sending missionaries around the world and across the street. Missions is about you, personally. You have a mission from God. You are called to be involved in worldwide missions and to be involved in missions right here at home. You whether you realize it or not, are a missionary. A missionary has to be trained, though. And so today we're going to talk about what Jesus wants a missionary to know, how he wants a missionary to grow, and where he wants him to go. And he has just walked the road to Emmaus with Cleophas and the other disciple, and those two, once they realize it's Jesus, uh, they, and he disappears out of their sight, they turn back and run back to to uh, Jerusalem to tell the apostles their story. When they get there, the apostles tell them, yeah, we've already heard that. Uh, in fact, uh, Peter's already seen him. <laughs> and they're standing there in this locked room, 
they're scared because you know their their master has been executed so they figure they're next and so they're in this upper room locked doors windows are closed and barred and suddenly without a door opening the flesh and blood bones and sinew body of Jesus Christ appears to them in that room and he starts talking to them and standing in front of them with the scars in his hands and his feet he asks for something to eat why well he's been dead for 3 days i think he's hungry amen you hadn't eaten three days and you've been laying in a cold stone tomb, I think you'd be hungry too, amen? There's a really nice little passage you can show people when they, when they you know, talk to people and people try to tell you, well, Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead. He was a, he, it was a spiritual resurrection only. Well, spirits don't eat fish and honeycomb, amen? Physical bodies need fish and honey, and that's what he needed. And so they give him something to eat, and once he finishes his supper, he starts teaching them and starts telling them what's most important. He starts telling us what's most important. Now, if last words are important, and we, we've written, we, you can buy books on famous last words, correct? But if last words are important, how much more important are the first words after resurrection? Here's the first words after resurrection. Verse 44 of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 24. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Father God, thank you for the morning and this time in your word. Help us to understand now. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing Jesus wants you to understand when it regards to your mission is, uh, this is what you need to know. You need to understand the whole Bible. You need to understand the whole Bible. A pastor, don't feel bad when you think that uh, people aren't listening. They didn't listen to Jesus either. Over and over and over again, Jesus would say things to the disciples, and they just didn't get it. He, he said to them in Matthew five seventeen, I did not come to destroy the law or the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. And then he's, he's talking to them in Matthew 17, 22. He says, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of men. They'll kill him, and he'll be raised again from the dead. And they were sorry. They were exceeding sorry. Mark 9.39, he taught his disciples, say, the Son of Man is going to be uh, delivered into the hands of men. They'll kill him, and after he's killed, he'll rise on the third day. But they didn't understand that saying, and they were afraid to ask. Luke chapter 9, they were all amazed at the power of God. And while they wondered at these things, Jesus said, uh, let these things sink down in your ears. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not the saying and it was hid from them. They did not perceive it. They feared, of them. They feared to ask him what that was saying. And then they started reasoning among themselves which one of them should be the greatest. fact is, is that we hear the preacher preach, we hear the speaker speak, we, we read the words of God, but it seems to just go past us sometimes. We just don't really let it sink in. You know, I, I, think, I, think, I think we're in this mode where we speed read our Bibles so we can check off that box each day. And it's far better to take your time, take it slow. You know, you can read your whole Bible in a year with just three chapters a day, basically. You know, that's about all it takes. You know, take it slow. You don't have to go fast. You don't have to know everything right now. You don't have to know everything tomorrow. You can learn. It's one of the things I've been trying to teach some of my guys, you know. I was talking to Marilyn about one of my boys who's got a little too much intellect for his own good. And he thinks he needs to know everything right now. I'm like, you're 19 years old. You're not going to know anything until you're 30. And then you're not going to know anything until you're 40. Then you're not going to know a thing until you're 60. So get over it. You know, 
We're, we're always growing. I've been at this for 26 years preaching the gospel. I have 2,300 volumes in my library. I've written three books, and I still have no idea what I'm talking about half the time. Amen? Because the more I read, the more I go, wow, look at that. I, yesterday morning, we were up in Latrobe for my wife's family reunion, and uh, the, horror, the, the, the breakfast at the hotel was horrible. So I went across the street to this place called Eaton Park. Anybody ever been to one of them? And I ordered a little breakfast, and I sat there, and I took my Bible, and I, and I took a took a notebook, and I took a copy of Lewis Berry Schaefer's True Evangelism, which is a book I've been slowly reading for the last six months. Just, I'm, only on, I'm in the middle of chapter three, six months later. I'm just going as slow as I can. And I thought, okay, I'm going to finish chapter three this morning. But as, as soon as I opened it, it had a passage. And I was like, oh, let me see what that passage is. I pull up my phone, and I pull, out, and I pull up my Bible app, and my Bible was at Isaiah 59 for some reason on the Bible app. And I looked at that and went, oh. I spent the rest of the thing writing in the back of that book, that book by an outline of a sermon for out of Isaiah 50. Theologically, I, I have squirrel syndrome, right? So I'm doing it. Oh, squirrel, look, you know, and it, you're never going to know every, you're going to have those times and you're going to have, you, but you've got to start somewhere and you've got to start moving forward and you've got to intentionally learn the things that you need to know. There are things that Jesus wants you to know. And he outlines them here in verse 44. He's, he's saying to them, compare what I'm saying to the plain physical word of God. You know, just compare what I'm saying to the word of God. You, you, have, to, you have to understand the written word of God. And what does that mean? It means going to church is not enough. Hearing the preacher is not enough. You have to study and search the scriptures for yourself. You have to come to the right conclusions on your own. You have to understand the scripture personally. And then you have to compare it, what you think you read and what you think you knew, to what great men of God have gone, who've gone before you wrote. It's one of my problems I'm having with some of my men right now. They say, well, this scripture says this. It's like, well, you're doing verse theology there. You're taking this verse completely out of context. You have no idea what's before it, behind it, around it. You know, and you're also going against 2,000 years of written commentary by great men of God who were way smarter than you. Amen? And you need to, you know, there's a reason God set up the, the elder structure in the church so that men can grow and know, and then they can teach the youngers to grow and know, and then they can teach the younger than that to grow and know. That's the point. So, yeah, you need to understand Scripture for yourself, but you also have to submit your understanding to the church and understand what... The church teaches, amen? Understand what, what great men of God who know way better than you have learned before you. That's why pastors have libraries, because we don't know everything. We're, we're not A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer, his entire library was a hymnal and a Bible. That was it. He didn't have a library. Now, I'm, I'm nowhere near as smart as Tozer, never will be, and I won't be able to do that. <laughs> Okay? I could never get to that point. I need all those books around me because I, I, I is dumb and I need somebody to make me undumb. Okay? I, that's, so, but you need to understand the scripture. If you don't, if you don't start studying the scripture, you'll never become the witness, the helper, the caregiver, the soul winner that God calls you to be. And Jesus names three divisions of, here of the Old Testament to them. He says, these are the words I spoke to you, that all things must be fulfilled out of the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Three divisions of the Old Testament at that time that they had to have a firm understanding of, and you need to have a firm understanding today. You need to understand the law of Moses. You need to study the law because that's how you show someone their sin. That's how you show yourself your sin. The law doesn't save. The law has no justification within it. The law has no righteousness in it. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, redemption within the law. All the law does is point a finger at you. But you need that finger pointed. 
And then you need to know the prophets. He says, study the prophets. This is what the prophets wrote about me. Yes, you need to study prophecy because prophecy is your great hope. Prophecy is the only thing that gives us hope in a world like this. I mean, this world is seriously in a handbasket, <laughs> heading somewhere. I mean, we're in dire trouble. I, I stood in my pulpit in 2012 after Oberfell in Bel Air, Maryland. I stood in my pulpit and said, folks, in 10 years, it's going to be pedophilia. And everybody looked at me and said, Pastor, you're out of your mind. Where are we at? 11 years later, where are we at? This world is falling apart. But if you know the back of the book, you don't get so upset. Amen? If you, if you know that the next great thing on the, event, on the calendar for God is Jesus stepping out of the clouds and saying, come up hither. Okay? 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 4, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 3. I mean, you know, come up, come up, come up. If you know that, you don't get so upset. You're just looking for the upper taker, amen? Not the undertaker. I, I know, and, and if you're looking for the coming, you've got a crown waiting for you in heaven. I know someone in this room who has that crown, that's my wife. Because we can't drive down the road without a big bank of clouds and a beam of sunlight coming through. She doesn't go, yes, yes, come on, Jesus, right there, step out, right there, right there, right there. That's her every time she sees clouds like that. So you need to know the prophets, that's your hope, and then you need to know the Psalms. And that includes all the poetic books, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, even Lamentations. Because that's your worship guide. That's what, that's what reveals the depths of your soul. You need that. So listen, you don't need a special touch from Jesus to understand the scriptures. You don't have to come into this, He doesn't have to come in here and breathe on you like he did in John chapter 20, where he breathed on them so they received the Holy Ghost, and then they understood. That's basically what happens here in verse 45, and he opened their understanding. You don't need that, because if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Ghost in you right now. I threw all my Marines for a loop the other night, because I told them, I said, here's the problem. And I told my Sunday school teachers this when I was a pastor all the time. Don't you ever tell your little children, now, when you, before you do something, think, would I do this if Jesus was standing right next to me? Because he's not standing right next to you. Because if you're a child of God, he's standing inside of you. And what you're doing, you're making him do with you. Ouch. My Marines looked at me and went, no, oh, no, 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 Dave. Dave, Dave don't, don't say that, Dave. Don't say that, Dave. I said, Jesus is looking at your phone, with you. And what you look at, you're making him look at with you. And they went, oh, no. Listen, if the Holy Ghost is indwelling you, all you got to do is surrender your mind and let him show you what the scripture means. That's it. So you need to understand the Bible, but you need to understand the, co- the gospel in particular. Look at verse 46. And he said unto them, thus it is written, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Jesus sums the gospel up in as few words as possible because the gospel is simple. Did you know that? The gospel is really simple. It's not complicated. We don't need to complicate our gospel. You know, I mean, I'm reading that Lewis Berry Schaefer book, Truth Evangelism, and the first three chapters are just his soteriology. That's it. It's just him going through soteriology and describing everything. And it, he, he, I mean, he makes it so complicated and so simple all at the same time. But when we're talking to folks, when we're explaining to people about Jesus, and we're explaining what, what they need, how they need Jesus in their lives, we don't need to make it complicated. We need to understand that the gospel is simple. Jesus says, here's the gospel. Real quick, Christ suffered, he died, and he rose from the dead on the third day. That's it. That's the gospel. Paul tried to sum it up in as few words as possible, but the problem with Paul was he was a preacher. 
And preachers can't say their names in under 20 minutes. 1 Corinthians 15.1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you receive, and wherein you stand, by which you're also saved, if you keep in memory what I preached to you, <laughs> unless you believed in vain. Then he finally gets to it in verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, what I also received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. So learn the gospel story. Learn how to share it. Be diligent about studying, asking questions. I mean, you should hear the questions we get at the center. Ask those questions. I, well, the thing I love about being at the center and, and doing what we do is because it's not a church building, so my 19-year-olds feel comfortable asking questions they would never ask in church. Amen? And you should hear some of the questions we get and some of the, all, some of the topics we have to discuss around the table. It would shock you. But this is where these kids are today, and they need that. And they need somebody like me who has no filter and has no ability to be kind and considerate to just say it like it is. Unfortunately, that's what they really, that's what they need. They don't, they don't need somebody who's going to dance around it and pretend like it's all nice. They need somebody to just look them in the face and go, you're an idiot. And you're going to kill yourself if you keep this up. And they go, yes, sir. You know, I told a deacon once he was an idiot and I almost lost my church. But um, that's just that's who I am. That's why I know that I'm called to this ministry. That's why I know that God put me in this ministry for a very specific reason, because my personality fits that Marine Corps mentality, fits that Navy mentality. That's what this is where I'm at. This is what I'm supposed to do. And one of my jobs is to teach them how to keep it simple, stupid. OK, just give it a kiss. K.I.S.S. Keep it simple, stupid. Right. It, it, we complicate things. Be diligent. Ask your questions. Understand basic Bible doctrine. But as you go out to reach the world, keep it simple. So there's things you need to know, but there's also ways you need to grow. And it's a daily, lifelong pursuit, understanding the gospel. It's a daily, lifelong pursuit. And you're always coming. To, good preachers are always coming to new revelations, new realizations, I mean, and new understandings, fresh perspectives on the gospel story. Pastor, you could probably point to three or four times the last few years where you've read a passage for the hundredth time and you went, whoa, what? <laughs> right? I, I'm there all the time, man. I'm going, wow, this is crazy. Uh, you know, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've read it. No, I, I just see one nuance, one change, one sw- You know, I, when I, when I, for the ten years I worked as a sheriff's deputy, for five of those, I, worked the, I walked the tears at a maximum security prison. And one night I came into, I think I had this Bible, actually. I came, walked into the booking room, and I threw my Bible on the table. And one of the booking officers, I think his name was Jason, he goes, Mason, haven't you, he says, haven't you finished that book yet? I said, yeah, a couple dozen times. He goes, why do you still read it? I said, because it's different every time I read it. Not in substance, but I see something new. Amen? Because it's alive, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Hey, 2 Timothy 2.15 still says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you need to understand the whole Bible. You need to understand the gospel in particular. But then you need to learn how to use your understanding to help others understand. Look at verse 47. And he said, And the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Folks, without a proper understanding of the gospel, you can't, help the, you can't hope to help others. But once you know, you can start helping people. And the fact of the matter is that everybody you know, everybody in this town, everybody in this state, everybody in this country, and everybody on this planet 
needs to hear the gospel so they can make a decision. Everybody needs to hear it. And you go, well, what about the people who didn't hear it? They don't have a chance. Well, that's pretty mean. Well, what, you expect God to be fair? It's his playground. He built it. It's his rules. Amen? I fully believe with all my heart that children who were born before the age of accountability to die are in heaven. They're safe in the arms of God. But if they're not, God is still just and still righteous. Amen? Now, I, I'm convinced that that's not the case. But if that wasn't the case, I would still have to say God is just. Listen, those lost tribes that have never heard the gospel, when they die, that's why we need to get to them. And the fact of the matter is that we're not really worried. We don't need to worry so much about the lost tribes in the Congo or along the Nile or anything anymore as we need to worry about the lost tribes in downtown Baltimore and downtown Philly and downtown L.A. and downtown Cincinnati. we got lost tribes all over this country. I'm telling you, I told you, I got... I, got, I talked to Marines who are 18, 19 years old, never heard of the Ten Commandments in their lives. Don't even know what it is. Never been in church a day in their life. Have no idea what the gospel is. And so everybody we, need, we, we meet needs to hear the gospel. And not all will make a decision. But if you give them the information they need, you've done your job. Ezekiel chapter 3 still says that when God says to the, to the wicked, this, 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 and you don't warn them, and they die in their sin, your, their blood's on your hands. But if you warn them and they don't change and they die, in their, they die in their sin, you're clean. I wonder how much blood's on our hands because we've refused to open our mouths because we're afraid of offending somebody. Can I tell you something? I've learned a couple things over the past couple decades. Number one, nothing offends people better than the truth. If you want to offend somebody, just tell them the truth about themselves. Run around town saying, Dave Mason's a homosexual. I ain't going to be offended because I know there ain't an ounce of truth in that. But you start running around town going, Dave Mason's kind of lazy. We're going to have a problem. Because I do have a problem with that every once in a while. Amen? How about you? Right? But you, you, start talk, you start telling the truth about me, you know. Dave Mason's a little overweight. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I've lost a lot of weight lately. You know? But when you tell the truth, people get upset. And the fact of the matter is you are not going to get out of this life without offending somebody. We all got to get over ourselves. And also got to learn to stop being offended by every tiny little thing that pops up. Amen? It doesn't make you just and moral and virtuous just because you got offended. Calm down. You know? So start telling people about Jesus and don't worry about whether they get offended. Because I got, I got news for you. They're going to wish they were offended when they're in hell. Just saying it like it is. They're going to wish you offended them when they were in hell. Don't you remember the, ver- the story of Lazarus and the rich man? And the rich man looks over to Abraham and says, Could you please send somebody to talk to my brothers? And Abraham says, They got Moses. They won't listen to him. They ain't going to listen to somebody if they came back from hell. Right? You know what that story tells me? There are people in hell right now praying for their relatives not to go there. Hmm. So get to know the Bible, get to know uh, the gospel in particular, get to know how to share the gospel with others. Use your tools. You got, you got tools? Hey, man, there, you know, anybody know the Romans Road? Right? Just learn. I, mean, I, I have people tell me all the time, Dave, I would share my faith with other people, but I don't know what to say. You, you got one of these? Do you? Because if you do, you don't have an excuse to say, I don't know what to say. All you got to do is read it. 
Amen? That's all you got to do. Read it. Read it again. Read it over and over again. And then start praying. That, that book I'm reading, True Evangelism, the first three chapters are soteriology. The last five chapters are all about prayer. The whole underpinning of that book is prayer is real evangelism. No evangelism happens without prayer. Prayer is the truest form of evangelism. And that's where we fail the most because, you know, the Holy Spirit moves when people pray. Amen? If we start praying, the Holy Spirit moves. You know, Acts 4.31, they prayed, and the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness, man. You've got to have the Holy Spirit involved because the Holy Spirit's necessary to salvation. 1 Corinthians 10.23, or 10.3, or 12.3, sorry, says, I want you to understand this, that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no man calls Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So when we pray for the salvation of a lost man or woman, do we really believe that the Holy Spirit will honor our devotion to that cause and start moving on that person? Because they need the Holy Spirit needs to move on them before they can get saved. Amen. So we need to be praying for people. That was Jesus' method. He prayed and then he went. You know, he he, he brought people. He he and he had his disciples bring people. You know, you look at Peter, Andrew, Levi, Philip, Nicodemus, the woman at the well, Zacchaeus, the maniac at Gadara, the Roman centurion, the thief on the cross. What was Jesus doing? Talking to him. Talking to them. And you never know what that one person you might bring to Christ might do. I mean, Andrew brought his brother Simon, who got renamed Peter. And on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 got saved. And I got news for you. Peter's not the only one who gets credit for the day of Pentecost. So does his brother Andrew for bringing Simon to Jesus. Anybody know who Ezra Kimball is? Ezra Kimball owned a shoe store in Boston. Nobody remembers Ezra Kimball, but they remember the fat little shoe salesman that he led to the Lord back in the 1800s by the name of Dwight Lyman Moody, who went on to see a million people or more saved through his crusades in this country. All of those souls that Dwight Lyman Moody saw come to Christ, they're accounted to Ezra Kimball's account, too, because he brought him. I always told my Sunday school teachers, don't be... So quick to put that little kid down. You never know what little kid in your Sunday school class might be the next Billy Graham or Billy Sunday. Amen? You never know. That little kid might be the next big thing. He might be the one that really gives it. And it's probably going to be the one that gives you the hardest problem because it takes a really strong personality to, to preach to a lot of people. Amen? It might be that kid who was a mean little thing. Right? You never know what that kid's going to be. But listen, you, it's scary. It takes guts. But i got news for you. The Lord never calls those he doesn't equip. So get out there and tell someone about Jesus. And go. There's things you've got to know. There's ways you've got to grow. There's places you've got to go. Go among all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem, right? The gospel started at Jerusalem. Had to start somewhere. But, you know, Luke, Luke didn't just uh, write Luke. He wrote Acts. And in Acts, Jesus tells us the order of the gospel, how it's supposed to be spread once it starts in Jerusalem. He says in Acts 1.8, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Did you get that note, that order? It wasn't in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then, it, no, it was and, and. And at the same time, you say, well, how can I go everywhere at the same time? You can't, but you can give everywhere. You can't go everywhere, but you can give everywhere. Amen. You can give to missions. You can send missionaries all over the country, all over the world, and you can be a part of that worldwide missionary outreach. 
Get that, get that gospel into those inner cities where people aren't hearing the gospel preached at all. Get that gospel into those rural places where people aren't hearing the gospel preached. Get that gospel into those backwater places where nobody's going. You can be a part of that. And then while you're giving to help that happen, be witnessing here at home. Be telling everybody you can about Jesus while you're here. Because you just don't know how long you've got. We don't know. We don't know. Jesus could come back this afternoon. And we're all going to be very upset because we had a friend or an uncle or a brother or a coworker that we never witnessed to. I've got one. He's in hell now. He was my partner in the sheriff's office. In the sheriff's office. I never gave him a clear presentation of the gospel. And he died a few years ago. And one day at the great white throne judgment, I'm going to be standing over there. And Tony's going to be standing over there. And after that's over, Jesus is going to have to wipe the tears out of my eyes, Revelation chapter 21. Because I didn't talk to him like I should have. I said a few things, but I never really pushed it like I should have. I never gave him a clear presentation of the gospel. You got anybody like that in your life? Yeah. I guarantee you, you got somebody like that in your life right now. Don't wait. Talk to him now. Because you, my friend, have the power to change the world, to reach it. Jesus said in verse 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from high. You have the power. Jesus promised the disciples power in just a couple days. That power came over 2,000 years ago to the church, and it is still here. He is still here. The power is He, the Holy Spirit of God. He is still here. He is in this room this morning. I know He's here because He's in me. How about you? He can charge you up and help you reach the lost. He can do, I, I, listen, I turned 57 in a couple months. My knees are shot. I've lost about 65 pounds in the last couple years, and I still got 35, 40 to go trying to get myself back in shape because I, I don't want to be 70 years old and barely able to move. I want to be, I mean, my dad's 78, and he can't walk much at all. I don't want to be that. I, I want to be Chuck Norris when I'm 85. Amen? I want to be kicking things over and stuff. I, I want to be powerful. You know why I want that? Not because it's going to make me look cool or anything like that. I want that because that's going to give me the energy to keep preaching and to keep walking across the street and to keep talking to people. I want that energy so I can keep doing the job God called me to do. How about you? What are you doing today? I mean, you've got the power to reach the world. Again, you might not, you know, might not be able to go very pl- many places, but you can give. You go, well, I can't give that much. What good's that? Well, there was an old lady with two mites, and Jesus said she gave more than everybody else. It's amazing what God can do with just a couple pennies. So understand the Bible. Understand the gospel in particular. Uh, use that understanding to give the gospel to everyone you know. And then make sure that you know what you should know, grow as much as you can grow, and go wherever you can go. It really is just that simple. Pastor.